to talk to you <laughs> and best intro ever yeah for sure <laughs> welcome that listeners <laughs> welcome listeners to dead and lovely your new favorite horror movie review podcast here's your good buddies uncle ben and who is that who's that west coast man i got here in the other line of the skype call here it's me, brother, Hollywood Steven Spratlin. <laughs> oh, yeah. How's things been out there on that West Coast for you this week there, Steve? Pretty great. Uh, had a, a fun day today. Um, my wife and I kind of like to spoil our dog because um, she's eight years old, and we thought, you know, uh, we, we adopted her at eight. She had had one uh, family that whole time, so she's... Uh, it's almost harder on a dog to be given up from one family at the age of eight than sure. to be passed around. So, yeah, she, you know, she was real timid when we first got her. So we've always kind of spoiled her. So today we uh, we went to a dog-friendly restaurant here in L.A., which there are <laughs> a ton. Is it called First World Cafe? It is, in fact. <laughs> Actually, this is so first world. It's it's like two doors down from uh, UCB uh, in Los Angeles, the the Improv Theater, which is about <laughs> as wide as you can get. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, the place actually is so awesome. They for two dollars, they will bring out a a cup of chicken for your dog. Oh. Yeah, it's um, it was uh, surprising how much it was because our dog is very small. She actually only ate a little bit of it. And then we uh, we went to the Silver Lake Dog Park, which is um, uh, really fun. There's just a bunch of dogs running around being cute, having fun together. So that sounds like a pretty good time to be around. Yeah, yeah, we had a good day. How about yourself, Ben? I've been good, man. I've been good. We've been enjoying ourselves a good long Memorial Day weekend here in uh, in the Tennessee so we've had ourselves a good long just sort of lazy weekend we've kind of been putting around in the house a little bit and stuff but tonight we went out for some for some sushi sandwiches with some friends yum yum is, oh it was just it was great we had ourselves a good time we went actually went out intending to go and see um, Colossal as well that, that newer movie oh. with Anne Hathaway yeah we meant to see it but then dinner ran over so we didn't catch it so we just hung out with our friends which is great have you watched any good movies lately? Um, well, um, as I told you before we started recording, uh, in the past few days, I've actually been rewatching all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, yes. which is um, kind of a transition into the movie we're doing today. But um, just been rewatching them because I I realized I hadn't seen some of them since the first time I saw them, which Holy was cow, around really? the time they came out. Yeah, uh, two and and three and four were all relatively new to me because it had been so long. 
Wow, that's great. Those are like three of the best ones. Yes, yeah, oh, absolutely. And rewatching them, I was like, oh, these are great. I don't know why I haven't watched them again. I'm telling you, I remember a long time ago, I was telling you that you'll like two a whole lot more than you remember liking it the first time you saw it. Oh, Did yeah. you? Yes, absolutely. I, I remember two. the first time I saw it um, as a young man just being like what's going on because it seems it's so different from the first one. Oh yeah um and and now looking back on it i'm like oh like especially i i've seen never sleep again and seen the people who made it talking about it like it's interesting it's uh it's it's real creative it, it takes things in a different direction it's it's real ballsy to have done that uh, after how well the first one did Oh, like yeah. to to just be like, well, let's go completely different with it. Um, it's one of those that I feel like it. Honestly, I think that if two would have, if that exact same story would have been presented way later in the franchise, like as you know, part five or part yeah. six or something like that, I think that people would have yes. been a lot more open to it. Um, but at that point, Freddy was still such a new character. I don't think that people were looking for that angle from it. Yeah, if it had gone like one, three, four, and then two, it yeah. would have it would have made more sense. Right. Yeah. Totally. So I I like two a lot. I think that it's yeah. I know that it breaks the mythology like severely in a lot of parts. <laughs> yes, it does. But I mean, yes, come on, like does. all of these old ones, like. The, the mythology is all fucked anyway. All these old franchises, the mythology does not stick to any sort of straight path anyway. So, oh yeah, and okay that's the it. fun. I mean, uh, Friday the Thirteenth. At a certain point, Jason becomes a superhero. Like, yeah, just way uh, over um, the top. Yeah, so like, it, it's great. I, I I like that. I like the way that it just goes silly, because. In the end, what these movies did, and what this movie we're going to talk about today specifically did, was create uh, a great production companies that end up making really good movies. Right. Yeah, totally. They call New Line Cinema, which later brought us the Lord of the Rings trilogy, among other movies. They call it the house that Freddy built. Yeah. So, like... Um, you know, you look back on these things and it's like, oh, they're silly, they're over the top. But yeah, they went into theaters and they made lots of money off of small budgets and made it possible to make great projects like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, etc. Like, so you know, uh, I look at them and, and really just love the all of those series, the Hellraisers, the uh, the Halloweens. Halloweens are probably the weakest to me, but like some of the sequels, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean, man. I really, I think of all the old school franchises, like I probably like the Elm Street flicks the best. I feel like part yeah. of it is just in terms of enjoyability and quality and stuff like that. I feel like they're pretty, pretty consistent at least. And maybe it's because it's one of the first big horror franchises that I actually watched all the way through all of them. Maybe that's part of it too. It's just the nostalgia effect, you know? But I think something yeah. that, and I know a lot of other people feel the same way too. And I think something that really draws people in about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and the way that sort of the main topic here is nightmares and bad dreams and stuff, right? Yeah. And I think that that's a really interesting thing, especially for, um, especially for young people, because, you know, sleepy time, your nighttime, your dreams are your supposed to be your place of solace and solitude, and and so yeah, on. Yeah, it's supposed to be safe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the idea that you're not even safe whenever you escape from reality 
I think yeah. is, is super, super, super frightening. And it's interesting too because, you know, if you watch if you watch Friday the 13th, not everybody can relate to that because not everybody's been to camp. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I've never been to summer camp. So to me, that was always just like, uh, that was the conceit of the movie that summer camps existed. Cause it, to me, I, I didn't have experience with them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you could say that about a lot of these other franchises too, where it's like, if you can't relate to this scenario, you can't really relate to this movie, but that's a cool thing about nightmare on Elm street is, everybody sleeps everybody has dreams so everybody can relate to this on some level i think that they chose a really cool premise to write this about yeah um in that you know dreams are something that unites everybody everybody's had experience with that so i think it makes it very scary and very relatable and i think that's one of the things too that i find really interesting about this movie and about nightmares um in general that i think is very fascinating is that you know, even if you've never seen a horror movie, even yeah. once in your entire life, you know, even if you just totally hate them and you've never watched any of them, you yeah. you are the scariest horror director in the world oh, yeah. to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Your your brain, your subconscious can cook up the most fucked up, horrifying situations that will scare the shit out of you. Totally yeah. on it, totally on its own. Yeah, it's um. It's absolutely insane um, that our brain needs to do that for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's there's some necessity to scaring the shit out of you while you're asleep. And the idea of, of basing a um, horror movie on that, of, like, escaping, escaping the reality, I guess, of a lot of the slasher movies that had come up to the point of Nightmare on Elm Street... Because those those focused on this sort of harsh and, and stark reality of uh, men stalking and killing women in vulnerable positions. Right. And uh, Nightmare on Elm Street makes everyone vulnerable. It's not about women being vulnerable. Like everyone is vulnerable uh, because you're asleep. You're in this state where you you can't do anything. Right. And so. Yeah, and we've all experienced the nightmare. We've all experienced that feeling. And so, yeah, this this movie really just draws on that fear that we all know. Pretty interesting stuff. So I think that's part of what made this franchise so enjoyable and so relatable for everybody is because actually everybody is the best horror director in the world, you know? Yeah. Um, pretty interesting stuff. And on a similar topic to that... I think it'd be a fun idea if we started this episode out by talking about our own top three sickest nightmares that we've ever had. The ones that we... Lightning crash! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just, got, I just got that sound effects board. <laughs> Dude, it sounds it's really so good. convincing. It's really good. It is. It's really good. <laughs> But I think that everybody has a couple of those nightmares that they had, probably especially when they were little kids and stuff, that have stuck with them for a lifetime that they can still remember super, super vividly. They're just burned into their heads, which I think is really cool because, like, I know that I have these images burned into my head of these dreams that I had when I was, like, you know, four or five years old. And I can clearly remember those pictures in my head right now. And it's interesting because those things never happened. You know what I mean? Like, they only happen yes. in my head. I'm not remembering pictures of something I saw in real life. Ben, um, I 
I have an entire dreamscape in my head, and there is a house in my head that recurs in my nightmares. And it's not a house I've ever seen. It only exists in my dreams. From the outside, it's it's like a small sort of farmhouse that's like graying from, from sun exposure. And inside, it is humongous and just f- dark and filled with all these different rooms and things. And I've been to it so many times in my dreams. Um, <laughs> like, a, sometimes it's a nightmare and sometimes it starts out as a regular dream where I just walk into this house and then I realize that this house is a nightmare. <laughs> Whoa. That's fucking yeah, it's rad. What will you do if you ever, like, go there? I have seen a house that kind of looked like it one time and it was the first time I had ever seen it and it... it almost uh, it was like one of those real strange like question all of your beliefs moments where it was like what the hell like how would i have an idea of a house i've never seen like that clearly in my head this sounds Um, like the subject of like a king diamond record (laughs) (laughs) it is we're working on it right now they they called me up they were like uh we we have some ideas and i was like scrap it I got this. That's rad. Well, I'll tell you, the, the first one that I think of when I'm thinking about the top three nightmares that I've had when, whenever I'm thinking about this list right here, there's this one that I had, and I had it so long ago that I can't even tell you when I had it, but it must have been when I was probably like, you know, maybe five or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this dream that my entire family were aliens. Uh, okay. That I actually, I was human, but they had just kind of like found me uh-huh. or adopted me or something like this. And that they were, they were all aliens. They were wearing like human suits. But then like at nighttime after I went to bed, they were like these big like meatball shaped, like huh. meat alien things. And that basically they were just keeping me around to like sell me or eat me or something like this. Like I was some sort of a, a food source or something. And it was fucking crazy. And like at the end of the dream, like my mom and my dad, and my brother, who were all these big meatball looking alien things, like kind of had cornered me in the hallway of our old house and stuff. And I was like, the jig is up. And then, and then I woke up. <laughs> <laughs> the jig is up. You turned said it into exactly. Don Pardo for a second. Yeah. <laughs> the jig is up. <laughs> the steam pedrod. That is interesting. I I've never had anything close to that. That's really <laughs> that's really cool. Like that's a that's a type of horror or a type of nightmare I've never heard of. What do you um, got? Well, the first one I want to talk about is <laughs> my mom started dating this guy who uh his house was formerly the caretaker's house of a funeral or not a funeral home but a a cemetery oh shit and so it was right next to the cemetery and (laughs) metal yeah well uh, we ended up living there for like three years and uh my sister and i lived in uh, a room in the basement so oh wow the room in the basement of the house by the cemetery yeah, that just sounds like a a great like scary young adult novel. Totally, <laughs> absolutely. Um, 
anyway, so the first night actually that we, uh, my mom took us over there, um, he was having uh, a get together and there were a bunch of people there. And at about nine, nine thirty, my mom took us up to his room and laid us in his bed and put us to bed. Mm-hmm. Good mom. Way to go. Way to go. Um, I woke up maybe, I, I, I wouldn't know what time it was, but I woke up, it was probably maybe 30 minutes to an hour later. And when I woke up, uh, you know that experience when you wake up somewhere that you, is just completely unfamiliar and you're like, where the fuck am I? Right, yeah, your brain hasn't really caught but, up to what you're seeing. Yeah, so multiply that times being seven. <laughs> and hearing in the distance voices because there was a party downstairs. Okay. So I'm hearing all these weird voices is completely in the dark. But when we were driving in, I saw the cemetery and was kind of spooked already. And I don't know where I am. And I started looking around and my eyes started adjusting and everything looked like corpses standing around the bed. Holy shit. I, I, like like, like in, in uh, like Phantasm or something? Yes. And then I woke up. Like, oh. I thought I had woken up and th- was seeing all that. And then I actually woke up. And um, that was the first time that had ever happened to me, that feeling of waking up in a dream. Yeah. A- and also that experience, because when you do that, have that wake up in a dream, it feels more real. That experience felt so real. Yeah. That yeah. when I did wake up, I was like questioning whether or not it had actually happened and it just sort of went away when I blinked or something. Right. And, uh, then, and then the rest of the time, you're just kind of waiting to be like, am I still in the dream right now? Am I going to wake up again? Yes. Yes. So that really fucked with me for a long time. That's <laughs> crazy, dude. Yeah. What's your next one, Ben? Uh, the next one that I thought about that was really memorable for me, it was, it was much later on in my life. It was probably when I was. See, we'd moved into our second house, so I think I was, I was probably about twelve or maybe maybe thirteen or so at the time, and it mm-hmm. was really really short. Um, but I had, I guess it was my my first and and so far only knock on wood, um, experience with like sleep paralysis. Have you ever had that? Oh, yes, that's actually something I'm about to talk about. Oh shit! Let's so hear more. I've only I've only had it once, and it was that it was mm. during this dream. And um, it absolutely scared the fucking dog shit out of me because yeah. I, I didn't know what sleep paralysis was. I didn't know that this is something that just sort of yeah. happened, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Um, it's a really interesting subject. If you guys don't know what sleep paralysis is, check it out. And there's also, isn't there a movie or a documentary on Netflix? Yeah, about, right? on the Netflix. Nightmare? It's called, yeah, The Nightmare. Uh-huh. I haven't watched it, but I heard it was really good. I uh, started to watch it. And I think I was drinking, and it didn't catch me. Yeah. So I I haven't gone back to it. Well, in this dream, I, I woke up in my bed, and as soon as like I opened my eyes, there was a, a human figure that was floating above me. It like face mm, like yeah. face to face, like nose to nose, eyes to eyes, floating right above me, and um. It was a male figure, and for some reason, I had this overwhelming knowledge that I was, like, in the presence of Satan. Like, I was in the presence of, like, the ultimate evil. Yeah, that's a common feeling with sleep paralysis. It was nuts. So, this figure that was above me, it was this bald-headed man, 
and he almost looked like almost like Buddhist um, kind of kind of get up, like really long flowy pants. He had like a hmm, like a wooden okay. a wooden bead necklace on. Um, and was he saying? Wait, d- did he say? Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna. <laughs> he said, Hadouken, touch up the Hadouken. Oh. <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. Not the guy I was thinking of. He cool. Hadoukened me in the face. <laughs> now, he, uh, as soon as he realized that I had woken up, he like floated above me like five feet and then sort of like uh-huh. floated across the room and looked at me. But he was like levitating the whole time. The whole thing was super short and I was, I was paralyzed. Uh, uh, again, as it's common sleep paralysis, like I couldn't move, I couldn't scream, but yeah. it seemed just like I was awake. And all the details in my room, mm-hmm. everything was exactly right. Even the lighting was yeah. realistic, everything. And yeah. I could not move, and I thought Satan was above me. It was fucking crazy. I had never experienced anything mm-hmm. like that, and actually haven't since. But that scared the shit out of me. Yeah, that's... Uh that's frightening and fortunate i experienced sleep paralysis uh for a long time it was pretty regular Ugh. but uh yeah i now have a seat uh a cpap because uh I discovered i have sleep apnea and that mm. was what was causing my sleep paralysis wow. um the first time i experienced sleep paralysis um i've <laughs> it's your number two I live, yeah this is my number two I've lived in a number of rooms in basements. Um, I actually love it. Um, if I can get a room without without any sort of light coming in, it's the best thing in the world. But um, the first time that I really experienced sleep paralysis, I, I think I was uh, 15, and I lived in this room that had no, no windows, it completely 100% dark when you close the door. Um, and... I fell asleep and I started having this dream that I um, that I couldn't move like just you know that that uh, that idea that you're behind your eyes but like you can't like move anything like yeah. you're still there but nothing can move right started having this dream and then I started realizing that like I I couldn't move and like uh, this is how I experience sleep paralysis every time. I I don't get the I've never seen any black figures. I I've never gotten the feeling of being in the presence of evil or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I have had the thing where what you were talking about where your eyes are closed but you're seeing exactly what you would be seeing if your eyes were open. Right. And th- and that has to do with the fact that your brain actually absorbs all that information and, and can recall it if if need be. So like your brain is showing you what cuz for some reason I mean your brain can tell what direction you're in, it can tell like it knows where you were looking last. And so like with sleep paralysis you feel like you wake up. Right. Like yeah, th- yeah you get that feeling like you wake up. So I I got that feeling like I woke up, but I couldn't move. And uh, this happens uh, every time I've experienced it. I can't move. And so what I have to start doing, because uh, when when the first few times I experienced it, I would start freaking out. And I would start trying to breathe really hard. But that you actually end up breathing really, really shallow. And, and you don't come out of it. 
So, like, I have to, like, come to and realize I am paralyzed, and then I have to consciously start breathing through my nose slowly. You gotta use and your balance I, these dream skills. Yeah, and then I and then I have to I have to keep trying to move my fingers. Whoa! In the moment that I can start moving my fingers, that's when I start to come out of it. And then what happens is the moment that I ha- I feel that full feeling like I can move my fingers, I wake up. And every time it's like, <gasps> like every Jeez. single time, um, it has never become less scary. I've just become more conscious of what's happening when it's happening. That's terrible. Yeah, it, it's very frightening. I, I don't really experience it anymore. With the CPAP, uh, it, it keeps my airway unobstructed. I have a... Uh, listen, I <laughs> am the nerdiest guy in the world. I got a deviated septum, of course. I've always wanted Duh. to start a death metal band called Deviated Septum. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of heavy breathing. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> well, Ben, what's, what's, uh, what's your last scary dream man okay and this is this is so hard to describe but i would say it's the most important scary dream that i've ever had because it is something that exists only on the fringes of my memory because Mm. i cannot recall exactly what happened in the dream or what it was about um but i see things all the time and I have my entire life because I think I had mm-hmm. this dream maybe when I was like three or four um, okay but I had this I had this nightmare way 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 back then and I even still to this day like damn 30 years later I'll see something and it will remind me of that dream I'll be like oh my god that was in that dream that I had when I was like fucking three Huh. It instantly is just like time machine. I'm right back there um, in that dream. But it, it's really, really fucking crazy. I, again, I don't even recall what exactly happened in the dream. I know that there was... Um, I was in a gymnasium, and then okay. something like fucking crazy and awful happened, and it destroyed everything, and... Dodgeball. It was a dodgeball. That's what it was. <laughs> Yeah, but there's some sort of catastrophic event at this, you know, perfectly normal gymnasium or something, and I'll see things every now and then that'll just remind me of it. Like one hmm. of the things that I'll see sometimes that really freaks me out is um, if they're like redoing a road, and there's like a bunch of busted up like asphalt, you know. Uh huh. Sometimes it will remind me of that dream. Okay. It's really, really, really strange. But it's like the minute that I see something that reminds me of that dreams. And, and, and sometimes, again, sometimes it's the asphalt thing. There was, um, there's this house that we walked by whenever we walked the dogs that um, had this huge, gigantic oak tree that got knocked down in a, um, a tornado. And it was just uh-huh. like this massive destruction of this gigantic oak tree. And um, every time I'd walk by it, it would remind me of the dream. I know Man. all of that. All of that stuff sounds completely random and stupid, and it is. But mm, no, whenever I see that it, shit, yeah. it freaks me out. It's really strange because in that dream, again, I don't remember what it was, but I just remember waking up and like going and crawling into my parents' bed, and even at that young of an age, just having the most like, just the most like uh, intense feeling of just imperative doom and dread and just like demise. It's fucking. It's really weird. interesting though that your your top dream. 
uh, you ended up running into your parents' bed because uh, I also did for my top uh, most frightening dream. Number one. So my sister and I had bunk beds, and my sister, uh, I gave her the top bunk because I never understood what the cool part about that was. Same. What's yeah, the I, was cool a bottom, I was a bottom bunker. Yeah, it's like a cave. It's awesome. You can build a fort there so easily. Um, so I'm on the bottom bunk, and um, not far from our bunk beds, there was this table that had all my sister's like stuffed animals and dolls on it. Okay. Um, this sounds a lot like the poltergeist bedroom or something. <laughs> it kind of does. Um, I woke up, and I didn't know then, but I would discover I had 103-degree fever. Oh, shit. I I woke up, and when I woke up... Uh, uh, at my f- the foot of where my bed was was where the coal burning stove was i looked and the the flames were making a shadow look exactly to me at that time like freddy krueger in your the, your fever cooked brain yeah it looked like freddy krueger with his like face coming around the corner and his is you know his glove uh, you know, just sort of resting there, ready to come and just slice me up. And um, I I looked over across the room and I saw all of my sister's stuffed animals and dolls were moving. Oh. Like they were all moving. Um, and I, I was frozen for a little bit. Like, what am I going to do? Freddy's over there. Those dolls are over there. I was frozen for a little bit, and then I was like, I have to run, and then I just, like, ran and jumped in my mom's bed, and uh, she was like, uh, she woke up, and she was like, what's going on? And she touched me, and she was like, you are on fire, (laughs) and she, like, (laughs) took me to the bathroom and took my temperature at 103.5 degree fever. When she says that, Um, was it, like, NBA jam? She was like, you're on fire! You're on fire! And I was like, I'm gonna dunk from the three-point line. (laughs) Did you also have the big head coat on? I did. I had big head, and I was Bill Clinton. (laughs) I was about to say, I hope you were Bill Clinton. (laughs) I was. Yeah. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. (laughs) Anyway... That's crazy, man. That is crazy. Yeah, that like, um, because because that 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 was so real because it was a hallucination slash coming out of sleep situation, like, um, that never really went away. (laughs) Like when I think back to that, it's still very real in my head. At that point, had you seen the Freddy Krueger movies, any of them, or was it just like you'd seen commercials? Yeah, no, I had seen I had seen um, uh, a couple of them. I'm positive of that because um, I I don't know if I've made it clear. My family didn't care, uh, didn't think that it was weird for little kids to watch horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> so we watched horror movies all the time uh, and loved them. Right on. I I watched this for the first time when I would think I was probably like maybe 20 or 21. I watched this over at. Uh, now my wife Kate's uh, parents house with my buddy my good buddy Brandon Suttles who I've mentioned I know at least on the audition yep. episode and several others Brandon mm-hmm. is a guy that got me into a whole shout lot of movies shout out to Brandon shout out to Brandon introduced me to a whole lot of great movies and stuff so um, he was like oh man you've never seen any of these we gotta sit down and watch these uh, there's some of his favorites of all time and stuff so he's like yeah we'll sit down and watch the whole franchise so we went through you know a week or two where we just every other night we'd sit down and watch one of these movies and stuff and yeah. uh, 
I loved them. I really, really did. I remember yeah, that they were great. like not as as scary as what I was anticipating, but I just really mm. enjoyed them. They just are yeah. fun to watch, man. They're really fun mm. flicks. Yeah, I think um, I think we probably both agree that the first one is the best. Yeah, um, I totally, totally think so. Yeah, it is. I know. And I know a lot of people have that hard on for Night Warriors or uh, Dream Warriors. I'm sorry, uh, Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors is great. I absolutely love it. But but uh, I would never put it above this. The, no. This, um, I want to talk just a little bit about Wes Craven just to give some background. I mean, a lot of people uh, have seen Wes Craven movies and don't really know much about him. Sure. Um, he's a former English and humanities professor, so we're basically the same person. Yeah, is exactly. What I'm saying. Totally. Um, he then moved on to work in post in a post production company that was run by Harry Chapin. Uh, that that one. Um, hmm. <laughs> um, then he went on to directing porn for a little bit. What? There's Wes Craven porn. Uh, yeah, yeah. He he is responsible for some porn. I, I he hasn't. Uh, admitted to which ones in particular uh and i assume it, they just have directors for scenes uh, i i doubt most porn movies have like a single director he directed last house on the left yeah which, is uh, which was produced up. yeah uh, very fucked up and, and but like also like depraved but i mean uh trigger warning like seriously though like if you yeah. if you have any sort of like experience with rape you probably don't want to watch it mm -hmm. and it um it's it it's not easy to watch and it's not fun to watch but no. it's certainly horrific yeah um, it is it's, it's pretty raw man it's a pretty raw movie yeah uh and that was produced by his friend who he had just met recently sean s cunningham who went on to create friday the 13th um oh, oh yeah 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 i remember reading about that yeah yeah um, uh, Wes, Wes Craven directed The Hills Have Eyes, which you have to see. If you haven't seen The Hills Have Eyes and The Hills Have Eyes 2, you really should. Let's go, uh, go ahead and also reiterate that rape warning on that one, too. <laughs> oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> that, is a, that is a gruesome movie. It also, too, if you, if you watch Hills Have Eyes, like, you will see where Rob Zombie got every idea that he's ever had. Yeah, it's The Hills right Have there. Eyes... The depravity of uh, Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, like, and uh, I would say the the just like uh, raw violence of Halloween really are the things that uh, influenced Rob Zombie for sure. Absolutely. Um, he also directed Serpent in the Rainbow, which is a great zombie movie, but it's zombie in the sense of the Haitian zombie voodoo. Uh, people under the stairs and scream, uh, among other. He's he's done so much stuff. Sure. Um, but he he really is. He's the master of horror. I mean, if you look at his stuff and you look at just just what he does in this movie, at the very least, like he finds ways to uh, find new avenues of scaring the shit out of people. Yeah, definitely so. And, and it's like you said earlier, like especially when you look at the climate of what other horror movies and slashers were doing during this time period, none of them were reaching into this, you know, kind no. of supernatural, yeah. almost fantasy-like sort of element that a lot of this movie has, too. Yeah. So I'm sure whenever it came out, people were seeing and hearing things that they had never seen before in a flick, so it really struck a chord. Yeah. It was a huge success whenever it came out. Oh, yeah. It, it certainly seems to be influenced by Giallo some. Yeah. For sure, like it, it has, it brings that like sur surreal and like um, 
dreamlike quality, but it, it's also very much an American slasher. Yeah, very uh, much so. In the end, the the cold open to this movie is amazing. Yeah, like one of my favorite if, openings of any horror flick. Ever. Yeah, we start with the origin of the glove, which at this point the you don't glove, even know what the glove yeah. is. Like, as people who our whole lives have been, you know, our whole lives we've known who Freddy Krueger was. But it's really yeah. interesting to think that at the first of this movie, when you saw this for the first time in theaters back then, you had no clue what you were seeing. But they already yeah. knew this glove is motherfucking iconic. Yeah, it is, and it also tells you so much about the man making it. It yes. already tells you this is a sadistic asshole. Yeah, this dude. is someone who sees killing as a game, not and, and he also sees it as theatrical. I love too, like the the really weird aspect ratio that the intro is in. Like when you yeah. watch that intro, it it's like in a little rectangle that takes up like a third of your screen, and you're going, oh wait, is my yeah. aspect ratio wrong? And it's it's not. It's just supposed to look claustrophobic and draws you in it's weird man i love it i think it does something too that like i want to uh like uh really want to discuss about this movie what it does is set what's happening here in a different reality than everything else that happens right like we see this in relation to these black bars in the the rolling credits like everything else that happens we see in a different aspect ratio so it's almost like saying like you know for sure this is happening or uh this is somehow different than everything else that's happening later and we do see some elements that make you think maybe most of what happens in this movie is a dream well, you know, it's interesting, too, especially when you think about the fact that the movie opens with him making the glove, right? Uh-huh. Up until, man, I believe up until four, when we start getting more flashbacks and stuff. Um, yeah. About, like, the birth of Freddy. Actually, that might be five, even. But, but anyway, for a long time in the series, this is actually the only time that you see Freddy Krueger as he was when he was alive. Yeah, pre-burns. Yeah, like this This movie starts off with a flashback of the killer. Because yeah. the whole rest of the time, it's like he's he's already been long dead, you know? Yeah, I believe it is five. Because in five, we see um, there's the sort of uh, dream sequence where the nun is raped by the hundred maniacs or whatever. Hundred maniacs, yeah. or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and we do see Robert England is one of the maniacs. Yeah, so, which is like, fun. Yeah, um, I love the intro to this so much, and then we just get like yeah. his claws slashing through that that like burlap sheet that's sort of hanging across there. Yeah, and then it it it, it skips into Tina's dream, um, and this is interesting, especially in relation to Suspiria. Um, what we get here, it sets up that Tina might be our like she's our girl like she's total gonna be our out. final girl yeah total psycho um, style kind of fake out yeah exactly um and and tina she's the one who seems to be uh, she gathers some sort of intel about freddie and she's the one who alerts everyone who is also each of her friends are also having dreams about freddie 
they're just not remembering them or not like fully disclosing them right but tina she's she's saying like oh no this is what happened and like i remember this and this and these things are bringing it out from her friends her friends are starting to be like wait did you say something about his fingernails and then like they're all remembering i also had this dream so Tina seems like at the beginning she might be the one who's uh, gonna, you know, figure it all out. I love that first dream too. She's in that that white nightgown, and she's, yeah, she's in the school. It looks like yeah. And, and there's a there's a sheep that like streaks by the screen, which I think is really fucking cool. Yeah, that's uh, that is supposed to. I, I'm pretty positive. Uh, Wes Craven was raised very religious, and I, I'm pretty positive that's supposed to represent that like this innocent lamb idea uh-huh. that these these kids aren't being killed like in other slashers the kids are being killed because they do drugs or have sex or whatever mm-hmm. but these kids aren't being killed for those reasons these kids are being killed because of the sins of their parents like they're lambs to the slaughter in other words yeah see i always kind of read it as like counting sheep like it's sort of a sleep association oh thing. yeah well yeah that works too yeah for sure it's pretty cool and i love too because she's kind of wandering around the school there and the tone is like super dark and gritty and there's water dripping mm. everywhere and like freddie's voice just keeps kind of like whispering tina just kind of keeps calling her over mm-hmm. and over and so you get the idea that he's sort of ever present like he's he's never seen here but you keep yeah. hearing his voice and stuff and then we start getting little glimpses of freddie in the dream i noticed that um if you pay attention in Tina's first dream, we never see Freddy full on. Yeah. We see him like sort of obscured around a corner, and we see him obscured behind her. Right, never like he face. jumps up behind her. Yeah, but we never really see him. Um, but yeah, Tina's suddenly in the uh, like in the, the bowels of a ship. Like it's just it steam looks that pipes. Way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, Ben, I know you've been on some cruise ships. Have you and the riders of Brohan ever gone down into the bowels and looked for Freddy? I mean, I haven't, but now I think I've got a mission for my my next adventure <laughs> on the high seas. I think that I, I do. Want, I want you and the riders of Brohan to have a Scooby-Doo type adventure in a cruise ship. <laughs> where you're searching for Freddy Krueger. Awesome. And two, like right at the t- at the first of this, whenever Tina wakes up from her dream, from her mom busting in the room there, we start to kind of set up the rules of what's happening. Um, yeah, we mm-hmm. see that her her clothes, her night clothes, have been like slashed open and stuff. And her mom's like, "Oh, you got to cut your fingernails." Yeah, her mom's the worst by far. Yeah, yeah. her mom's so bad. But I anyway. love I love in horror flicks whenever the mythology is never just like flat out spoken to you yeah. like you're listing off words like you you make you, you uh what's the word i'm looking for you put Ex- together the the rules just by what you're seeing yeah there's no need for exposition yes. um yeah the it, it's it's obvious what happened yeah. she was in the dream he slashed her she came out of the dream the slashes stayed so what freddie does to you in the dream happens in real life we got it there's no need to ever even say those words. Yeah. And 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 we get it like that's the that's an amazing part about this script. This script is so tight. Yeah. Like it it, it flows so well. There there's not a lot of superfluous dialogue. Everything sort of serves to give us a further understanding, but also to keep us in the dark about what's going on with Freddy. One thing that's cool too that we see in the next shot where the kids are going to, um, we see Tina and Nancy 
and Rod and Glenn, played by old Johnny Depp, walking to school. Something yeah. I didn't notice until I actually I watched about half of the uh, movie last night with the director commentary on. Yeah. There's that shot and okay. The shot pans from left to right and yeah. whenever it starts, uh-huh. it's the slow I know motion where you're going. little girls yeah. uh doing the yeah. jump rope, right? Which we know from the one two Freddy's Come for You kind of jump rope song, mm-hmm. right? That pans left to right to the kids pulling up to the curb in Glenn's car. And yep. I hadn't even noticed it until they pointed it out. But, like, all in one shot, this one tracking shot, you have this fuzzy, blurry, dreamy focus of the girls jump roping in slow motion. And then the filter comes off, and it's normal yeah. vision and totally up to normal frame rate, too. All in one shot. Which, this isn't like they did it in post digitally. No. They actually did that. They, they said they had like six people working the camera to do that one shot. I hadn't noticed yeah. it, and that's fucking amazing, dude. Which is probably why you have to go with the take where Rod says, uh, up your ass with a twirling lawnmower. <laughs> like, that makes any fucking sense. What is a twirling lawnmower? Twirling. All lawnmower... All of them twirl, <laughs> whether from the center or by you pushing them along. Like they all twirl. There's a twirling element to all of them. It's a little superfluous yeah. to say that, but they were like, "Well, we nailed the slow motion part, so we just gotta go with it." This shot, I would say, an argument could be made that from this shot to the end, all a dream, because we start on the fuzzy shot of the girls and their one, two, Freddy's coming for you. It comes from left to right onto them in the drop-top caddy. Then at the end, they're in the drop-top caddy, and then from right to left to the girls jumping rope. Well, here's the fun like, question, too. If if the whole movie from that point on is a dream, whose dream is it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that Actually... The ambiguity at the end and the ending in general are the the main things I would say are negative about this movie. Right. But um, I I do like an ambiguous ending, but I think that this one is far too ambiguous. And I know that do it. Yeah, I know from watching. uh, Yeah, Never Sleep Again that that this was uh, a studio issue. This was like a problem where. Wes Craven didn't get to go with what he wanted to do. But again, because what the studio wanted was the possibility of sequels, and those sequels, again, made uh, Lord of the Rings possible, Uh, it's hard to question it. Even though I think it's a it's a detriment to this movie, it's also a positive in the end. So what I think is fun to explore as you watch this movie, especially with the notion that Basically, like what you're saying, everything that you're seeing here at the first of the movie is a dream. Or actually, through the whole movie from the first of the movie is a dream. Yeah. Is that this whole movie is actually Nancy's mom's dream, kind of brought along by the guilt of, of killing Freddy and stuff. That um, would make sense with yeah. the ending, yeah. Because if yeah. the whole thing's a dream, it doesn't make sense for Nancy to be dreaming about herself sleeping. No. Um, and then also, too, yeah, at the very end, you know, one of the rules that we see set up through the movie is that if you die in your dream, you, you die in real life. And at the end, again, assuming this whole movie is Nancy's mom's dream, she dies at the end, we're to assume, after Freddy pulls her <laughs> through that window. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, I mean, according to the rest of the series, she did die. Because obviously Nancy didn't die. Nancy's back in part three. Yeah. Yeah. And... um, 
yeah it, it it seems like the ending yeah that would make sense that the dream then is the the mother's dream I think, okay, because, like, this movie has to be looked at two ways. One, Wes Craven wanted this to be one movie. Like, right. So if we look at it from the way he wanted us to see it, the end of this movie is the end. But, uh, two, this movie is not the end. and <laughs> There are uh, seven sequels and then a remake. So there are two ways to definitely see it. And I think if we see it as Nancy's mother's dream... It, it can still work for with the sequels. Yeah. But also in the sequels, we find out that all those deaths did happen, so it couldn't have possibly been a dream Yeah. if if that was the case. So, right. yeah. But it's fun to watch um, with that in mind. <laughs> it is. It's real fun to watch with that in mind. So, like, uh, it could be all be a dream. So they're talking. Uh, Tina is telling them about the dream, and as I said, like, some of that's coming out. And um, we find out Rod is uh, kind of a piece of shit, and they're <laughs> all gonna they're all gonna get together at Tina's house because Tina's mom is is leaving for the weekend. Um, and there's there's like an actual uh, like funny scene, like a very charming scene. I thought, yeah, totally. Where, uh, fa- Glenn's faking making the phone call to his mom, playing the boombox tape of like, oh, I'm out at my friends at the airport or whatever. Yeah, and I, ha- I had one problem with this, is that Glenn, instead of telling his mom, I'm hanging out in the suburbs with my girlfriend and her friend, told his mom that I'm going to 1980s Long Beach, which is where which is where Snoop Dogg grew up. And from, I, I've listened to, I believe, all of Snoop Dogg's albums. I'm pretty positive it wasn't a great area. Uh, and then also, in that scene... The, the sound effects tape that they're using to pretend to be, like, landing jets plays gunshots. It does. Now, as the mother, I would be like, what the fuck is going on over there? <laughs> <laughs> I, would wa- I would call and then find out, shit, Glenn's not even over there. Yeah. Damn. Anyway. At that slumber party, too, is where we get the awesome second dream, which is sort of Tina and Nancy dreaming simultaneously, it would seem. Um, Tina is having yeah. her dream about being woken up by some rocks being thrown at the window, which actually, yep. you know that part where it looks like a rock stuck in the window? Uh-huh. That's actually a tooth. What? Yeah. And if you watch it again, you can kind of tell, but they talked about that in the commentary. That's a fucking tooth stuck in that's the glass. That's insane. Which is way twisted to me. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Now- now this, I mean, we we do have to mention, in case someone doesn't know, that originally Wes Craven meant for Freddy to be referred to as a child molester, yeah. but a lot of child molestation cases were around that time, and he didn't want to f- uh, seem like he was trying to, you know, make money off, cash in off that. Yeah. But um, the idea then uh, that that's a tooth, and where he would have gotten a tooth... Yeah. Um, that's gross. That grosses up. me out. Yeah. And, and two, that's where we also get Nancy dreaming. And this is where we get the super iconic thing where they just stretched out a yeah. sheet of spandex above her bed. And like yeah. Freddy's like pressing through it. God, the, the special effects in this are so great. Yes. Like the, the fact that all of this is practical is so great. Like it couldn't look It better. looks awesome. 
it looks so good when he like pushes onto that. It looks so ghostly and like, mm-hmm. and it catches it really all the like hard contours of his face, like yeah. his concave eyes, and then like mm-hmm. the claw and his outstretched other hand just make it look like he has like gigantic talons, like a monster. But at this yeah. point, you still don't know what the image of Freddy is. If you're yeah, because we haven't time. seen him. Yeah. So in Tina's dream, Tina's running, and then we finally see full-on Freddy, and in our first viewing of Freddy, he's warped. His arms are stretched out super long. Yeah. Um. So, it's so dreamy. Like, when she runs, she's, like, running in place. That's cool when shot. she sees him, everything is warped. Like, it's so dreamlike. And this is something that I think each successive... Um, sequel kind of lost it kind of went less from being a dream and more to being like a fantasy like each kid was having their fantasy yeah Yeah. that's a great way to put it this is very dreamlike and i know a lot of people complain about the uh the quality of the effects on the super long arm scene um well i'm i'm totally okay with it man because like whenever whenever i have dreams and stuff is like weird it doesn't really look Right. Yeah. If it looked right, uh, like if it looked too correct, that would be reality. It's a dream. Everything should look a bit off. Yeah. So I'm totally okay with that. And then even like how it goes from the long arm shot to in the next scene, his arms are perfectly normal. Like that's that's yeah. that's kind of dream logic, which I'm totally love seeing in flicks. Yeah, and they start wrestling around, and she has what I was talking about earlier. She wakes up in the dream where she thinks she's waking up, but she's not. She's in the bed wrestling with Freddy, and she rips his face off. Yeah. Which, again, like, this is, like, something Wes Craven was pushing, I think, throughout this movie, that when we see Freddy, we never, like, like, at first it's like we don't see him fully, or we see him warped, like, he, Freddy's presence doesn't become, like, full-on Freddy until he's really fighting in the end. Mm -hmm. So, like, in these early parts, he's warped, so his face gets ripped off. And this scene is fucking awesome, Uh, and again, I I recommend you, you... You watch the documentary Never Sleep Again and find out totally. more about this. But, but basically they used like a, a, a room that they were able to turn all the way around. And they used so much blood. Like this is just the bloodiest scene. Yeah, dude. But I, I remember like the first time that I watched this scene, it really, really, really did blow my mind. They filmed it in like the rotating room. Uh where Nancy uh, or sorry Tina is like crawling all over the ceiling like defying gravity and her body is being like twisted and thrown around through the air I still don't really know exactly how they did that one shot and yeah that was interesting and she's covered in blood and she's like leaving like a streak of blood up the wall and up the ceiling and shit and she's screaming bloody murder and you don't even see what's happening like Freddy's invisible and he's like shredding her skin through and stuff yeah, I think it's it's in my opinion, I think it's the best kill of the entire franchise, and it's the first one yes. that happens. Yes, yes, and um, like when she drops and the the blood just splashes on Rod, yeah. like 
Could you imagine like, having your girlfriend's blood splash no. all over you? Fuck. It's yeah, but up. and that's but that's the thing about like what uh, I really love about this is that Wes Craven goes from the dreamlike fear logic to just full on reality, which is what you always hear on any of those murder shows and and like crime shows. Murder scenes are just so bloody, like so much bloodier than you could imagine. Right. And this, like, she goes from a dream state to this reality of just blood everywhere. Yeah. And um, it it's sickening, and it hits him in the face. Like that's like that is like a a, a real great image of of the reality of her dead and and her blood just hitting him in the face. Um, and then I really love the scene. Really it's, good. It is, yeah. it's, it's fucking best. And then Rod runs off because he's got, I guess you kind of get the impression that he's sort of a, a bad dude that has kind of a prior record. So he well, yeah, because be he pulled out a switchblade earlier. And as we know, if you've got a switchblade, first off, it's not a knife. It's a switchy. Don't bring that motherfucker to a knife contest because it's not a knife. Mm-mm. But it, anybody with a switchblade is a dirtbag <laughs> instantly i was taught this through the entire the entirety of my childhood yep <laughs> anybody with a switchy is a bad guy <laughs> so rod's a bad guy yeah so he runs off and then we get that scene with um the, the mom and the dad and nancy and the police office nancy's dad yeah is the police chief or whatever there he's like what were you doing yeah. over there yada 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 we find out as we go her, her mom is attentive she's She's a caring mother, but she's also an alcoholic. Yeah. So. And then even the next day in the morning there, we get the morning scene with Nancy and her mom. And her mom's having the good old Russian omelet for breakfast, which is to say yeah. a glass of vodka. Yeah, hold the eggs. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Nancy's um, drinking coffee and stuff because she's having bad dreams. And uh, she leaves the house. And this is one of those things that I always thought was really weird. She leaves the house, and there's like this mystery guy watching her from the from behind the tree yeah this is a problem and we talked about this the first time what the hell is this like that mystery guy from behind the tree never comes back i like to think that that maybe like her dad set another police officer on her to like tailor to make sure that she'd stay safe or something but that is never cleared up and you never see that guy again it's really weird no yeah so that's like one indication that maybe this is a dream because like she feels like she's being watched and she looks Mm. and beside a tree she sees a a a man in black like um but then also rod is there and the other police do show up so maybe yeah you're right like maybe it's just some dude who's supposed to be plain clothes but he was like i'll dress in black They'll yeah. never notice me. And <laughs> be creepy from the bushes. Uh, yeah. Pretty normal. Yeah, so Rod grabs Nancy and he's like, I didn't do it, etc. And then uh, her dad shows up. And uh, we actually see Nancy do this twice in this movie. First, Rod pulls out his switchblade and Nancy just steps in and grabs it out of his hand. Kind of hard. And ass. then this. Yeah, she's a badass. And then the next time is, is uh, her dad sneaks up to arrest rod and pulls his gun out and she just steps in front of the gun and like pushes it out of the way like she's she is not afraid of shit well what you don't know is that she is a mormon and is wearing her sacred mormon oh, undergarment. shit yeah no those garments will do it impervious to bullets can't be cut through uh-huh they can't <laughs> 
<laughs> so she was like, I got Listen, this. I got you could this. Lose, you could lose your limbs and your head. Your body will be fine. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's why she was never garments. really that scared of Freddy. She was like, what can he do? Cut me? Mm. <laughs> yeah, right. I got the power of Mormon on my side. The great Mormon. With his, with his fiery pumpkins. <laughs> and then we get the... Uh, her in class, and this is where we have the next dream sequence, too, where the guy is standing up reading from Shakespeare, oh, yeah. and his voice changes and so gets all good. weird, which is cool. I love this dream sequence, too, when we see Tina in the body bag out in the hallway. God, that's so yeah. cool. And the body bag has, like, blood all over it, and it's clear, and yeah. she gets dragged off and shit. Yeah, and they're dragging it with, like, wires, so you can't, like, it looks like like an invisible person is dragging her it looks so cool i love it man and she follows her down into the into the boiler room and this is cool too because we get another another bit of uh rules about freddy and stuff and again more rules about his dreams or about the dream sequences and so on um in this dream we see freddy like cut his chest open and he's got like worms and stuff in him which is crazy and Nancy burns herself on one of the boiler pipes to wake herself up. So it shows that even you, the dreamer, have power in the dreams. Yeah. And then whenever she wakes up, of course, she has the burn on her arm. Yeah, she doesn't notice it at first, which is interesting because we see it. Like, it's very clearly there. Right. But, like, she doesn't notice it at first. She walks out of the school and then notices it. I think it's just her adrenaline was going so hard she didn't yeah. notice it, you know? Yeah, because she does, she screams and, and, like, really fights to get out of that dream. She is now introduced to this world, and she she's pretty clear that she believes Rod. She believes Rod didn't do it, and, and now she's thinking, okay, so this is probably what happened right like this guy killed her in the dream and it killed her in real life so she goes to talk to rod at jail and um so she uh is asking rod like you know some questions and she finds out that rod is also seen this guy in his dream right and is that when she goes home and, and takes a bath and we get the cool iconic yeah. bathtub dream scene right yeah i love the claw coming up out of the tub fucking awesome super iconic i love this scene too though because like I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of like drowning type dreams myself. Yeah. Um, and I think that this captured it really well. I love how it almost looks like she's fallen through like a hole in ice. Like you can see that one spot where you can see the, uh, there's like a hole at the top where she could swim through, but she's being pulled yeah. down and stuff. It's really cool. It's also interesting too, that there's, there's some, uh, some nudity in this scene. There's a little bit of side boob action. But this movie doesn't really like sexualize it very much the same way that you'd see no. in like the thirteenth movies or something like that, where you know it's like full on sex and violence. Like this isn't really about that. It's like, well, she's in the bath, logically she would be naked, but let's not make it like a sexy thing. Her mom hears her struggling around and wakes up wakes her up and stuff, and Nancy wakes up and take she gets those uh those Jesse Spano caffeine pills uh-huh. out of the, uh-huh. the medicine cabinet. She's so, so excited. she can be so excited. And so scared. <laughs> Jesse Spano stole this. Jesus, Jesse. <laughs> and then that's when Glenn shows up at her window, and she has that funny line where she looks in the mirror, and she's like, I look 20 years old because she hasn't slept in yeah. a week or whatever. But Heather Langenkamp actually was 20 years old, so that's a yeah. even funnier <laughs> joke. Yeah. And, and she asks Glenn to stay awake and guard over while she sleeps and stuff because she's basically going to go looking for Freddy in her dream so that's when we start the next dream sequence which 
I think this is interesting too because I see a lot of people complain. They're like, okay, what is this rule? Like, Glenn is in her dream? Yeah. No, he wasn't. Like, that's just her dreaming that he was in the dream. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I need to explain that further. It's like, to me, it's like, no, no he's not yeah. actually there. Because he, he never has any memory of it. He, he's never like, whoa, that was weird. I was just in your dream. I mean, in regards to future movies, I could see how somebody might think that's what is happening. Because in future movies, totally. that is that is a common That's, that's Dream Warriors rules. Yeah, yeah. But in this one, no. She's just, she is thinking that Glenn is there. But Glenn, uh, he, couldn't, he couldn't stay awake for a, a couple of minutes. Like, every time no. she asks this dude to stay awake, he falls asleep almost immediately. Like... Later, he falls asleep with a TV resting on his junk. Like, how? Yeah. <laughs> how would you fall asleep? And Miss Nude America on TV. Yeah. That. What? Come on, Glenn. Miss Nude America was never <laughs> on black and white TV. And this is where it's interesting, too, because this dream is almost more like astral projection. Uh, because yeah. she, in her dream, goes to the police station. It's interesting, too, because yeah, she's kind of walking around her neighborhood, and then suddenly she's at the police station, which is, again, dream logic, where you'll just change locations yeah. suddenly. We see a bunch of that in this movie, which I think is really neat, too. Yeah, and she sees what's going on uh, in Rod's cell, which is uh, Freddy is going to kill him. He's going to hang him. And I love, too, that we see the Tina in the body bag kind of haunting her again and she has that yeah. centipede come out of her mouth and she Ugh. has like the big dude one that i can't figure out is there's like a huge pile of eels at her feet what the fuck yeah. is that about it's gross i mean like, the like... centipede i can understand it's like if you're buried in the ground and you're being eaten by bugs and stuff yeah maybe there'd be a centipede in your mouth but oh the, you the have eels at the feet i it's a california thing we got ground eels oh california ground eels Interesting. You, what do you guys think up next up there? <laughs> and so she she tries to run back to the house, right? Because Freddie's chasing her and stuff. Yeah, and she sort of wrestles around with him a little bit, and he where she steps through those he, oatmeal steps. Yeah, which is a cool scene. Like that's something i've experienced so many times in my dreams like where i'm running and i i can't move or i'm trying to like fight off something that's trying to attack me but it's like i'm punching underwater i really like the, totally, the stairs dude. scene yeah they could have done it a little bit better it looks kind of shot but they it's still pretty it's still pretty neat. i like the concept more than I like the execution kind of like when Actually, in that same scene, Freddy's at the door and he's wearing like Tina's face, but it just kind of looks like he's wearing like a catcher's mitt on his face and he pulls it off and he's <laughs> yeah. like, it's me, Freddy. It's pretty lame, <laughs> but I like the yeah. concept. Um, so she she basically wrestles her way out of this dream and then she's like, geez, Glenn, you couldn't stay up for a second. And he's like, I'm wearing a belly shirt. And um, <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> I'm sorry. So, you know, one thing that I did notice this time, too, that I'd never noticed before is while she's wrestling around with Freddy in the dream, he, like, slashes one of those pillows, right? And there's feathers flying everywhere. Yeah. Well, whenever Nancy uh, wakes up and then Glenn has to bolt out through the window, she looks over there at the window and there is one of the feathers falling in front of the window. Oh. So. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That is awesome. So, yeah, um, she... 
wakes up and and gets glenn and they go down to the police station to check up on rod and of course uh this movie is like built on the idea that adults don't listen to kids right so like uh they're not they're not really listening to nancy and if if they did they maybe would have saved rod from being hung in his cell by by freddy right. um and there's a there's like a cool uh scene of the the sheet like tying itself around his neck which they actually did in reverse they had it tied around his neck and sort of pulled it off with a, cool. a string yeah really cool stuff um so anyway yeah rod dies and they have a funeral the next day where the the priest says something dickish like uh, <laughs> i love it he says he who lives by the sword dies by the sword <laughs> yeah like rod, first off hey guy rod didn't have a sword okay and no the bible doesn't say anything about switchblades though i'm <laughs> sure if they got around to it they would say uh, thou shalt not have a switchblade for he who hath a switchblade is is a dirtbag like <laughs> And that's when we get to that uh, Nancy is being taken into the Sleep Institute, which you can tell is a very technical research laboratory, especially by yeah. the fact that the mom is smoking there in the observation room. He has a, a poster of a little kitty on a San Francisco trolley car and also just talks openly about how he has no idea what dreams are and they're just a bunch of body and mind hocus pocus. <laughs> and... What I was really surprised by is at no point does he mention Jessica Rabbit or the dip because he's the voice of motherfucking Roger Rabbit. Bullshit. No way. Yeah. That the guy, sleep doctor guy? That's, yeah. That's Roger Rabbit. Holy shit. What, what if just at one point, just for a second, he was like, please don't smoke. <laughs> so Nancy's having these crazy dreams and she's being monitored and stuff and she she's going nuts and she wakes up. And uh, she becomes Rogue from X-Men. She has a little streak of gray hair. Yeah, which she keeps throughout uh, when she's in uh, the third one. So that's always fun. I think that's cool, too. And she, she has the hat. She pulled the hat off of his head in the dream, and suddenly she has a hat. So we also learn, again, without exposition, that whatever they do to him can affect him. Yeah. So like, So she can maybe pull him into reality. And again, that's just such cool, classy storytelling and letting you know what the rules of the monster are. It never out and out says it. You just figure it out based on what what happened, which I, I love seeing that kind of storytelling in movies and games and everything else. Yeah. Um, and then there's the, the convo between her and Glenn where he tells her about Balinese dream skills. Um, and she tells him about booby traps and improvised antipersonal devices. She has the first the the first ever publishing of the anarchist cookbook. Yeah, she's ready to roll. <laughs> and it actually tells us a good bit about him because earlier he says, you know, you know, if you're ever having a bad dream, just uh, tell yourself you're having a bad dream and wake up. Like he's got this sort of um, he's got this idea that that dreams are are separate universe and they can't hurt us but she's she's come to understand that no like they can actually affect us and maybe we can affect them so she's thinking practically i'm gonna set up some fucking booby traps yeah i'm gonna get this motherfucker i'm gonna i'm gonna home alone this son of a bitch <laughs> yeah she kevin McAllister's the fuck out of it too she, she yeah. comes home and there's all these bars on the windows that are 
her mom's had installed, I guess, to keep her safe or whatever. And that's when her yeah. mom tells her the whole talk about Freddy Krueger, about how he was a, a filthy child murderer that, that killed 20 kids in the neighborhood. Yeah. That's that a must, lot. I mean, that's a ton of kids in one neighborhood. How big is this neighborhood? That's a, that's a child-rich community. He might have been doing them a service. Like, it seems almost like they had a plague of children. Yeah, really. You know, he's like, this is <laughs> just overrun. He's like, yeah, he's like the Pied Piper. He was like, oh, I see you got all these kids. I can help you out. <laughs> Holy shit. He's just a, a dark Pied Piper. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, like, she's she's set this up. So she Nancy can't get out, and also Glenn can't Dawson Creek his way in. Yeah. So, like... Uh, Nancy's of course upset with her mom because she's like, Hey, you know, uh, I got some serious shit going on. And her mom's like, I got some serious vodka going on. So (laughs) we both got shit. Like (laughs) Nancy comes up with this idea. She's going to, she's going to go into the dream and pull him out and, you know, kill him. But she needs Rod to call and wake her up. So she's she's trying to call Rod, but his parents are they're tired of the bullshit, and they just decide no, leave our Rod alone, you 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 evil woman. It's real interesting because when Rod dies and when Glenn dies, there's not really much to it. Like there, we don't see them having these nightmares. Yeah, that that's an yeah. interesting thing about the movie that I was hoping that we we're gonna talk about is like. Freddie really fucks with the ladies. The guys, he yeah. just smokes them, and it's no big deal. Yeah. And this is this is part of the great storytelling. It indicates to us that those little girls that are skipping rope are probably his victims, and he he killed girls specifically. Right. He killed young girls. So he's he uh, he doesn't waste his time torturing Rod and Glenn. He just kills them. Yeah. But with the girls, he's interested in seeing them scream. He wants to see them react. That's why with Tina, like he cut off his finger and like laughed. And then with uh, with um, uh, Nancy, he did the thing where he cut open his skin, and there were the the disgusting worms and shit. And he even lets I think is it Tina? He even lets Tina like rip his face off, almost to be like, yeah, you can't even yeah. hurt me. Yeah. But with Rod here, uh, or with uh, Glenn here. What we see is he reaches up, pulls him into the bed, and then Glenn becomes all of the blood. (laughs) All the blood in the world. All the blood in the world comes out of Glenn. So we find that Glenn probably deserved this because he was criminally not donating blood constantly. (laughs) I love that scene of his death and just the completely unrealistic, ridiculous geyser of blood that shoots out of his bed. I think that's badass. Yeah, and they they also use that same like uh, room that they could turn around to do that and yeah. use so much blood that did, didn't someone get shocked? Yeah, because like, basically there's a bare exposed <laughs> light bulb on a lamp. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> one of the guys pouring the blood from the top of the room, yeah, totally got electrocuted by that. <laughs> Yeah, the hazards of making awesome movies. And I love, um, too, whenever the paramedics show up, and that one guy's like, we're not going to need a stretcher up here. We're going to need a mop. <laughs> Real insensitive. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, it totally reminds me of that part in Hot Rod, Yeah, where he's yeah. like, I give the old man a week. And he's like, it's pretty insensitive, Jake, or whatever he says. 
<laughs> so good. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought of. Um, and so Nancy, she sees all the hullabaloo across, and she calls, and her dad talks to her, and she says, Dad, you know, uh, listen, I'm going to need you to come over here in 20 minutes. Now, uh, listen, no matter what Nancy asks people to do, they never do it. No. Huh? Like, uh, But if they would... Nancy would have had this problem solved long ago, right? Like, Nancy's the only one who knows what's up. She's the only one who's figured this out and the only one who's figured out, like, an actual plan to stop it. But no one will listen to her. So she she goes into her dream to... to you know bring freddie back out and she's she's set up all these great uh booby traps she's got a sledgehammer ready to just uh hit him in the old bread basket yeah she got some trip wires with some improvised explosives yeah like she's she's ready to go I would have loved to seen like a scene of like her drunk mom just like stumbling around the house, like fucking up all of them, <laughs> like, getting hit with sledgehammers and blowing up light bulbs. <laughs> She's drunk as fuck, just not understanding what's happening. That would be so funny. <laughs> now, there's a cool thing here in this dream that I, I thought was really interesting. That again, I only noticed this time through. Okay, so Nancy goes in like the boiler room, right? Uh huh. Okay. Where the fuck is she, though? Because she finds a huge collection of things that belong to all of her friends that got killed, which I didn't notice this until this time. Yeah. There is the blue blanket that Tina and uh-huh. Rod were sleeping under whenever Tina got killed. Yeah. How the fuck would Nancy know what that blue blanket even looks like? Uh, there's huh. Rod's switchblade. There's the crucifix <laughs> that was above her bed, and there's Glenn's headphones. I love that the thing that really defines Rod is a switchblade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, he's a switchy kind of guy, so he's a switchblade type person. You know the type. <laughs> um, yeah, that's interesting, and that's actually something that sort of carries over uh, is. That he he sometimes keeps trophies. It depends on the director. Yeah, um, that is yeah. But yeah, he's he's kept trophies of this, which is very serial killer like of him, yeah. and probably should should have continued throughout the movies. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. So she starts to fight with him in the dream world. I mean, she's no dummy. She knows she's gotta she's gotta trick him. She's gotta get him into the real world. Um. So what does she do, Ben? Well, she uh, she jumps off of this thing in the boiler room, which then makes her <laughs> land onto the the fallen like trellis, like the rose trellis yeah. that Linda used to climb, which is cool. Again, I love the changing of locations. Yeah. Very, yeah. completely very weird geometry. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, and uh, it's cool too because like she she wakes up. And she wakes up in her bed, and she has the trellis on her, and then the trellis, like, disappears. There's some cool, like, there's an extra, you know, dude there just throwing that off of her for the rest of the camera shot. I like that shot, too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so then Freddy Krueger's in the room with her in the waking world, it would seem, right? Yeah. And she starts pulling all the traps on him. He gets hit by, he gets hit by the sledgehammer and falls down the steps and... Uh, Gets lit on fire, which is pretty awesome. I would imagine for yeah. somebody who was burnt to death, that being lit on fire would be pretty bad. Well, I guess all of your nerve endings would be dead, but it would <laughs> also be, be like, uh, not this again. Yeah, not this shit again. 
<laughs> trying to kill the person trying to kill you by setting them on fire is maybe not the best thing to do when you're in your house especially in like an 80s house that was covered in wall-to-wall carpet and asbestos yeah and <laughs> yeah i like to when he falls down the stairs there's that that really long scene of which actually at at the time was the longest burn scene that had ever been yeah put on the film. longest continuous burn yeah which is bad he fell he falls down the stairs gets up tries to go back up them all while actually on fire that stuntman uh he was a badass. He earned his pay that day. I love when he falls yeah. down the stairs too, because he makes a bunch of like Schwarzenegger noises. He's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> we get that scene of Nancy and her dad has come over there now and busted down the door and stuff, and they they go upstairs to the mom's room just in time to see Freddie still on fire on top of her, yeah. and Dad like throws the blanket over him uh, so they could have a little bit of fucking privacy. And <laughs> yeah, he's like, geez, guys, don't have sex in front of my daughter especially on fire i know that's your weird fetish freddie was turning dad into a major league cuck oh man that dad was like i'm gonna vote for hillary <laughs> but we disagree maga <laughs> and that's the the ultra weird scene of nancy's mom's death where suddenly the bed is like a vortex and she's just a skeleton and she kind of yeah. like gives a peace out wave and just sort of disappears. She does. She's kind of just like, hey, see you later. I'm out. Um, and then the dad's like, well, I'm, I'll am i leave you in this room to contemplate, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't seem too blown away. I think he's been like, I've seen her do this shit before. This is why we got fucking Oh forced. my God. Listen. If you haven't seen your mother burnt down to the bones and floating away into a cloud, um, you've just not been paying attention, Nancy. He was like, she does this shit for attention. Always the same old shit with this one. <laughs> so he leaves the room, and of course, then Freddy shows back up, and Nancy tries the classic Glenn defense of, uh, I, I'm taking away your power. I'm fighting I, the power. You don't. I'm not even gonna look at you, Freddy. That'll show you. What if and it would have started like, playing like "Take Back the Power" by Rage Against the Machine right there? <laughs> Damn, it would have been hard. And then, and then a younger Zach Dillaroca is sitting at home, and he's just like, "Okay, what? Oh, all right. What is this? What is, okay, <laughs> maybe that's what that song's actually about." <laughs> that song is about him watching Nightmare on Elm Street and hearing his own song from the future. Yeah, much later, you know, in, in a in a in a secret interview, he'd be like, "People think my songs are about political revolution. They about fighting Freddy Krueger." <laughs> <laughs> bulls on parade. That's about me wishing bulls would kill Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Like all of them, all of them about all that. All of them. Bomb track. Uh -huh. That's about that's about the exploding <laughs> light bulbs Nancy made. <laughs> I really, I hope that's true. Next week we're gonna have Zach Delaroca on to talk about it. <laughs> Come with it now. <laughs> um, yeah, she turns so, his, turns back on him. He like disappears or whatever into her ass. Yeah, he like turns into like sort of tv static at her ass and then disappears yeah and suddenly she wakes up into what is obviously not reality because it's so like fuzzy and everything and she's walking out the front door with her mom who's now alive and not drinking and, 
not drinking yeah she's like she's she's like she's holding up a newspaper of today's date and a a, a like a mug of not alcohol <laughs> she's just like look i'm done no longer an alcoholic i was saved by floating away into space and um so nancy like runs to catch the <laughs> the convertible with her friends to drive off and of course as they get in the convertible the the top just suddenly comes up and it's freddie's sweater colors Uh oh oh no and they start to drive off and we see those little girls skipping rope but that's not enough for the ending we also then see Freddie smash his hand through the little window on the front door and pull the mom through. Um, Maybe and, like two and, square feet of a hole. Pulls yeah. this full-grown woman through it. Uh-huh. And then the end. It's um, a nightmare! And then we get that sick song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a now, nightmare! Now, the, the ending is is the worst for me. Like, it, it's, it's not good. I don't like it. Um... I, I, do, I don't like even Wes Craven's idea of the ending. Like, the I happy don't like ending? the idea that he she turns her back on him and doesn't give him power and that It's true. It's, that kills him. It's a little weak. It is a little weak. Yeah. There probably could have been something if they'd spent a little more time on it, come up with something a little bit more appropriate. This movie is great though. I mean it, like uh talking about uh likes and dislikes of this movie, it's it's the likes are uh, Freddy Krueger, the uh, Robert England's like uh, inhabitation of this terrifying character that just becomes more and more uh, uh, frightening and also more and more silly throughout the the series. But Robert England in this first one, he plays it just so uh, menacing and. Uh, the glove, I would also say, like the design of the glove. Oh yeah. The idea to just stick with that glove—that's his tool for killing. I think that's cool too because it's almost like by choosing a, by choosing for him to have like a glove is like an extension of his hand. It almost makes his killings more animal-like because it's not like he's holding yeah. a, a gun and shooting somebody from a distance or even holding a knife where it's this separate object away from him. It's like, like a claw. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, an animal claw. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that makes his killing a little bit more twisted mm. and up close and personal. The As we've said, I love the, the setting within the dream, using that to draw... Uh, fear out of the audience is is a really great idea i i like the screen i like i i I like this script i think that um there was an obviously concerted effort to make the uh action tell the story and Mm -hmm. to make make the story sort of unfold without ever other than the uh, the section where she's like undergoing the the dream analysis or whatever at the at the hospital, other than that, there are no real exposition scenes. But even the exposition in that is not. I mean, because all he's really saying is we don't know what dreams are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then he's like, "Oh, um, look, she's having one." Yeah, I, look, there's a dream. Um, <laughs> Whoops, there's a dream. <laughs> shaka laka shaka laka um the dislikes i uh the ending as i said 
Uh, acting's not strong from some of the people. Like, mm -hmm. there are some, there are some definitely like well done scenes, some, some, some good acting, but overall, there's some moments that, uh, definitely are a little embarrassing or not great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, I honestly, I guess that, uh, the stare scene, like, mm -hmm. I wish, I wish that it looked a little better, but I, I also know from, from the documentary that Wes Craven didn't actually even want to do it. Um, and it was Bob Shea's idea. Uh, and so maybe he was doing it just sort of to get it out of the way, but like, I wish they had done that so that it looked a little better. Cause it's pretty obvious where the, you know, where she steps that it's just a big, pool of like oatmeal or whatever so yeah it's it's hard for me to come up with any major dislikes though because i think uh i think it does a great job this is a, a great movie what about yourself ben you know i'd say as far as likes go a lot of the same stuff that you mentioned where uh, the way that freddie is played in this movie i think is really different than the other ones two is probably the closest and then it seems like starting with Starting with three, they start playing a lot more with him being able to morph his body into yeah. pretty much anything, almost like he's made out of silly putty or something. And then, of course, we just start getting super wisecracking, um, very cartoonish Freddy in a lot of the movies past that. But I really do think that, like I said, the character of Freddy Krueger is in intrinsically fucking terrifying. A child you know, murder and it's implied rapist that can attack you in your dreams and he's unvan unvanquishable even after your mom and dad kill him like that's really fucking scary so i really like yeah. the way that he plays him in this movie they don't really show him very much and it's an interesting thing too about freddy in this movie is that very very similar to like hannibal lecter's character in like silence of the lambs Actually, Freddy is barely in this movie. Freddy Krueger gets about seven minutes worth of screen time across this entire yeah. movie. Yeah, that's uh, that is something I noticed watching it again. Was that he he's not in it a lot, but you feel um, like he just dominates the movie. Um, but he's, he he's, bar he's yeah. barely in it at all. I think <laughs> yeah. that's really really cool. Another thing I really like about Freddy and the way they chose to play him in this too is. All the scenes in the dreams where he's talking, whether it's like him just saying the name of whoever it is that he's, uh, you know, torturing his dream or whatever. Anytime that you hear him talk, the sound design for his voice is really weird. They've obviously added like a little bit of a distortion or something to his voice, but uh -huh. also even acoustically, his voice doesn't seem to resonate in the same room as the dream, if that makes hmm. sense. Like his voice seems like it's happening in some other place than the environment yeah. that the dream is taking place in. Huh. Watch it again next time you see it and you'll, yeah, you'll really, yeah. really notice it where it's like there'll be like in a big echoey boiler room but his voice sounds very flat with like no echo on it. Like, huh. it's really cool and I think just kind of that makes him seem more all-powerful and all um, in control of the dream and stuff. I think that's a really cool choice. It might have just been an accident but... I think that it's really rad and adds something subconsciously cool to it. Yeah. Um, I'll also add in the in the category of likes, I think that the score uh, for this movie, I think the soundtrack is fucking awesome. I think it's one of the most interesting and iconic horror themes ever. Um, typically, whenever we talk about iconic horror, horror themes, of course, you know, Jaws would be one of them with this little two-note motif. Yeah. Um, the little Halloween. riff. That, yeah, totally. That riff that John Carpenter came up with for Halloween and of course tubular bells and stuff too. 
But I think yeah. that the Elm Street score is super, super underrated. It's got these really super haunting, um, what what we call minor major seven chords, which oh I, yeah, yeah, I think Everybody are know. Everybody yeah knows those that. old those old things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's some of the the eerie sounding chords because they're essentially kind of like a minor chord that invited part of what you would typically associate with a major chord into it too. So it just sort of has this really tense, uneasy, it doesn't sound resolved, if that makes sense, kind of quality to it. I think it's really cool. It's like like a minor chord uh, was having a minor chord party, but was also dating like a, a major chord and was like, I want you guys to like him. It's exactly like that. But everybody's <laughs> like, this is real awkward. Yeah. Like, and it's cool too, because like the theme is so dark and so scary sounding, but then you know how there's that little... There's a little part in the theme that has that really sing-songy. It almost sounds like part of like a, a children's song thing that goes ma 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 uh-huh. like that. Yeah, like the interval between those two notes and the relation to the chord is uh, what we call a major third, which is a primary component of major chords. And so the theme is this decidedly really minor brooding thing, but then it puts this really childish sing-song major third thing over top of it which I just think makes it all the more surreal and strange because those notes of that don't actually work with that minor chord structure that's going on behind it. But I think that makes it seem all the more nonsensical and dream dreamlike in a way. You know what I like about that is that you just described technically what people actually already hear when they hear it. Yeah. Like you hear it and it's like, that's eerie. Yeah. Exactly. But you just described why it's eerie. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. That's that is, really cool. That's the cool thing about it is, you know, ultimately, like, what I'm talking about are intervals, just sort of distances between notes, but all of those things yeah. have, have a character to them, and you know them. And once, Yeah, you already know them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Which I think is really neat to, to learn about and learn how they psychologically affect you to hear them. I really like, too, in this movie, I feel like this movie has the strongest dreamlike feel to the dream sequences yeah. especially with the way that things will just suddenly jump from location to location and the yeah. characters in the dream don't even seem to be like what the hell I was just in my bedroom now I'm in a boiler room like it seems to make sense to them that oh this makes sense now I'm here because that's how it is in your dreams um, yeah you you know you walk out your front door and you're in a grocery store and you're like yep that's about right and I feel like I feel like in the other dreams, maybe they tried to make, or, or sorry, I guess in the, I feel like in the sequels, in the other dreams, they tried to make every dream a more concrete location, like in a dojo or whatever. Yeah. And, Inside a comic book or yeah. whatever. And it's yeah. like, okay, we don't typically really have dreams like that. It's really more about places that you've seen, places that you've been to, and suddenly shifting locations between them and stuff like this. I, I think this movie yeah. has the most dreamlike feel of, of the entire series. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that, and that's uh, that's something I noticed that uh, uh, drops off almost immediately with the uh, the second one has some dreamlike quality to it, but with Dream Warriors that almost sort of is gone at oh, that yeah. point. Absolutely yeah. so, and you know, as far as like as far as like dislikes about the movie, I see exactly what you mean about some of the acting being being pretty weak. Um, yeah, especially Rod. Rod's probably the worst one in the movie, I think. But yeah. I almost feel like 
I almost feel like at this point, that sort of 80s slasher acting style is almost a style of acting within itself. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, <laughs> For I, sure. I guess what I would be saying is it would be kind of like us being like, yeah, man, fucking Super Mario Brothers for NES. The graphics fucking suck. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, it's a style. Yeah. It, it's It's been so long. That style of like game design has been around so long that it is now a style in itself. Yeah. That people copy and do this, you know, bit art kind of stuff. Um, so I almost feel like this movie is the perfect 80s slasher acting. Is it good? No, but that's part of the style now. Yeah. it's. Uh, I see what you're saying. And... I think you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, we see that in, um, I don't know, say something like uh, Zombievers. I don't know if you've seen yeah. Zombievers. Yeah. <laughs> Zombievers is, is awesome. Absolutely love it. But, yeah, like e- even there you can see like the way that the actors are acting is this. It's like the, it's it's been ingrained in us, this stilted way of delivering lines and this sort of maybe not the best acting like posture and stuff but it, it it's it's the way the we're genre. used to seeing it yeah it's yeah. the way we're used to seeing it, it it's it's like uh yeah it, it's like you know uh, people who enjoy opera or whatever they understand the way that the the characters exist within the opera is this long tradition of opera like this is part of a long tradition of of slasher and and american horror films yeah so i i'm totally okay with acting being bad now there are some there are some pretty regrettable bits of dialogue and some really fucking funny lines in there that i forgot about like okay whenever she brings the hat out of the dream it has like f kruger written inside of the hat yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as though at one point this maniacal child killing you know freddy krueger was like mm, i don't want to get my hat mixed up with nobody else's i'm gonna <laughs> one, grab yon sharpie time, and write my name in one time he sat it down and he picked up someone else's hat and he went to kill a kid and it just didn't feel right and just he was like right. what the hell and he looked at his hat and he was like this isn't mine <laughs> i should have wrote my name in the damn thing <laughs> And I like that too when like after afterwards her and her mom are having the argument and uh you know, she's like, I found the hat, I pulled the hat out of the dream or whatever. And Nancy says, uh, did you even tell dad to have the hat inspected? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. <laughs> They're gonna get the head hat inspector in on that, man. Yeah. <laughs> we brought in the hat inspector from two towns over. He's the best one. Yeah. So there's some there's some pretty bad there's some pretty line pretty bad lines of dialogue and stuff in there. But again, I, I don't even care. I love watching this movie. Uh, I'm totally totally fine with it. Yeah. Ending ending is questionable. That was definitely a compromise. Yeah. Ending could have been better. But to me, this this movie, it, it's a nine and a half out of ten. Man, I've watched it a million times. Always have yeah. fun. What's your rating? Uh, nine. Yeah, nine and a half. I I want like. I would want to say it's a 10 because it's it's so great among horror movies like it, it really fits but then I think about the movies I think of as a 10 and they, they don't have those issues and these issues are minor that's why it's still a nine and a half but uh yeah I can't I can't say it's a full 10. I, I definitely want to cover all of them because I do enjoy yeah, me all too. of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even the worst one is still a fun watch. Oh, yeah, definitely so. Well, in the meantime, our next episode that we're going to be doing for you guys is going to be about 
possibly my favorite movie from this uh, favorite horror movie from this side of the millennium. If probably yeah. if not best, probably in my top three up there with yeah. like the House of the Devil and stuff like that. We're gonna be talking about the Witch, which I fucking love. This movie, it's so good. Yeah, and it, it's it's it um it's so good, and it's it's so hard to not discuss the witch like second by second frame by frame because it's such a beautiful movie and so much happens uh that you just like there's so much like context to it so much history and like uh it's gonna be so fun to talk about so (laughs) it's a really cool flick man i fucking love it so be sure to stay tuned and tune in for that one next week and in the meantime I hope that you guys will do us a tremendous favor and go on iTunes and rate and review our podcast. It makes us show up in the feeds and searches a whole lot better if we have some positive ratings with our podcast. Thanks so much to everybody who's done that so far. So be sure to go in there on iTunes. Just takes a second to do. Rate and review our podcast. Use uh, G-rated language. If you use any, any potty mouthing on there, they won't post your review and we won't get a rating. So go on there and, uh, and, and uh, write us a good, clean review. Well, where can they follow us on them social media, Steve? Uh, you can always follow us at DeadLovelyPod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also email us, deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. We also mm. have a Facebook group. Oh, so Be sure to drop us some suggestions for whatever movies that you love that you'd like to hear us gab on and on about you guys can find me on twitter and instagram at ben eller guitars or find my youtube channel youtube.com slash ben eller guitars all one word where can they find you steven at steven spratling on twitter and instagram that's steven with a v the only way to spell it and um you can also uh find me at your mom's house on Friday night. <laughs> That's right. I'm talking to you, Billy Tompkins. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, you guys have been wonderful, and we have been dead and lovely. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.